Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Yes. G'day everyone, I'm Michael, lead pastor at Salt. Great to have you with us tonight. Welcome if you're new. Uh, it's great to have you on this journey towards Christmas 14 days to go, I think it is, something like that. Um, stick with us, uh, Christmas through the eyes of Mary. So tonight, next Sunday, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, there's the path as we think about Christmas through the eyes of the people that were actually there. Let me pray uh, as we come to tonight's passage. Heavenly Father, uh, as we come to Christmas, there's all kinds of emotions going on in our hearts and minds. Uh, some of us aren't excited um, you know, some of us are weighed down with grief and anxiety. Uh, some of us are feeling overwhelmed. Uh, please now, as you speak to us in your word through the Bible, help us to trust you and trust your promises. Please now work by your spirit uh, to give us joy in you, comfort us, but also challenge us and shape us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me, let me give you this question to start with tonight. What part of your life do you think you need to learn more trust in God? What is the area of your life where you need to trust God more, trust the promises of God? Or let me put it from another angle. What, what is the, think about the promises of God. What promise from God are you yet to really believe and trust? Uh, what, what word from God do you find hardest to believe. And I guess I'm, I am asking it from different angles. What's, what's holding you back? Uh, I found it really encouraging, really challenging. It really shaped me. Thinking through Romans 8 the last four weeks, uh, God is for us. To know that God is completely for me in Jesus, that there's no condemnation now that I'm in Christ, that through the ups and downs of life, God, by His Spirit, is shaping me to be more like Jesus. Uh, I, I really appreciated grabbing hold of those promises. But what, what holds you back from really believing the promises of God? Uh, it is a good question for us, isn't it? It's, it's not the question for God. He is completely willing. Uh, the Bible says the Spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. The problem is with us, not with Him. Uh, we're told to keep in step with the Spirit. So what is holding you back? Uh, what is God waiting on you for? Now, for some of you, it's actually taking that first step. It's actually becoming a disciple of Jesus. It's actually saying, I need forgiveness. I need to trust you, Jesus, for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, you are the Lord. You are my Lord. Uh, you need to take that step. But for many of us, it's actually about opening doors to rooms in our life that we are reluctant to let God come into. Uh, do you know that feeling? Uh, parts of our lives where we, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't want God to change. Uh, what, is it, what is it for you? To help us on, on this journey, uh, we're going to learn tonight from a very special woman. Uh, it's Mary. Um, so as we've said, we're starting this journey through uh, Christmas through the eyes of Mary. Uh, and we're, 
I want you to open your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, so have it out in front of you, have it on your Bible, make sure you're on the Bible app and not another app. Um, Here we are, focused on Jesus, but through the eyes of Mary. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, who is Mary? She is a teenager, Uh, she's probably only 14, Uh, as the staff pointed out to me last week, she's younger than my daughter's which is incredibly scary. Uh, she's from nowhere special. She's from the, the backwater town. She's from a poor family. But she has grasped something we desperately need to learn at Christmas. She has grasped that nothing is impossible with God. Uh, she's grasped that no word from God will ever fail. Mary totally gets that and we need to get that as well. So, Come with me on this journey. We're in Luke's biography. Uh, It's a biography of Jesus' life. Uh, What does Luke say at the beginning of his biography? Here is the historical account of actually what happened. Here are the real places, real people. This is real history. 2,000 years ago, this is the first Christmas, the original Christmas. And how does it start? It's interesting, isn't it? The birth of Christianity starts with two pregnant women. Uh, Mary and Elizabeth, Uh, and it's a conversation about their sons yet to be born. Uh, Now, we all know what pregnant women are like, right? Um, They are are deeply focused on the child that is is about to be born. I hope that's what you're expecting me to say. (laughs) Uh, But it's interesting, isn't it? You talk to a pregnant woman... And what are the questions that she gets asked? Um, It must get very tedious for at least six months of the pregnancy. When is it due? Do you know the sex of the baby? Uh, Which hospital are you going to be in? How are you feeling? And when it gets to about that point, I kind of run out of options or questions that I pull out. Uh, If you're brave, you could ask, was it planned? (laughs) I don't don't necessarily recommend that one. Um, But here is a conversation about pregnancies, about sons to be born, but is much, much bigger on a much bigger landscape. About to enter the world are two, the two most massive figures, you could say, in the history of the world, John and Jesus. And I want to say their their mothers are experiencing both a planned and unplanned pregnancy. So their arrival is both expected and unexpected. From God's perspective, it's completely planned, isn't it? It has to be completely planned. It's completely expected. Nothing takes God by surprise. No pregnancy takes God by surprise. Every child is planned by God. Every person, the Psalms tell us, is knitted together by God himself in their mother's womb. There are no accidents. We are not random. But these two babies will have key roles in the unfolding plans of God to save the world. And so these are massive pregnancies, aren't they? This is a big deal. Uh, Here are two sons chosen by God to change the world forever. Uh, It's it's even clear, isn't it? After 2,000 years, even our calendar speaks to how massive this event is, the first Christmas. Uh, We're in the year 2022, we're nearly 
2023, it's 2022 years since the Saviour, the Lord, came into the world. Uh, Two babies, one born to Elizabeth will be, uh, the one born to Elizabeth will be a prophet of the Most High, John the Baptist. The other, through Mary, will be the son of the Most High. Uh, One womb will carry the one who prepare the way for the Lord, bring people back to the Lord. The other will carry the Lord himself. Uh, It doesn't get any bigger than this, does it? In fact, it's so big, did you notice in the reading, the, the baby in the womb, John, doesn't even wait to be born before he leaps for joy at the news of what he somehow knows what's going on. And it's not explicit here, it's not the main point of this uh, chapter, but a friend pointed this out to me this week. In the background, Luke is reminding us, in the womb, there is real life. Uh, there, is real, there are real human beings. Uh, these babies in the womb of Mary and Elizabeth are referred to as people. Uh, there's three things that stand out uh, from the chapter on this. Uh, one is the word baby. The, word, the Greek word for, for baby is used to describe John in the womb and is also used to describe Jesus outside of the womb. Uh, here are babies, people, uh, in and outside the womb. In the womb, did you notice, secondly, John rejoices like only a person can rejoice. Who are the people that rejoice throughout Luke's gospel? They are people. They are not things. They are real people. Here is John, six months old, in his mother's womb, and he rejoices like a person. But lastly, and I can't believe I missed this, having read Luke's Gospel so many times, uh, verse 15 of chapter 1, it says, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Even in the womb, he will be indwelt with the Spirit of God. And we know from the rest of the Bible, who are the ones who are indwelt with the Spirit of God? It is not things, it is people. People made by God. It all points to the same thing, doesn't it? The unborn are people, real people, made by God, treasured by God. We'll have a look at this figure, Jack Nicholson, uh, just a little uglier than Mary, (laughs) if I can say that. He's a big boy. Uh, He's one of the most famous actors of all time. Uh, Maybe you're too young to even recognise this guy, but uh, as good as it gets, anger management, it's, it's a little bit old now, but how do you know, I think more recently... Uh, he was born out of wedlock. He, his mother was 17 uh, when she conceived and it was actually her parents who encouraged her to keep the baby and it was his grandparents, it was actually so, so um, her parents and his grandparents that raised Jack Nicholson. And so here's Jack Nicholson uh, mixing in the, the big scary world of Hollywood as a star who must, all of his life, had a lot of pressure on him to be pro-choice, who is actually not pro-choice, not pro-abortion. Here's what he said about abortion. He says, I'm an illegitimate child myself, and it would be hypocritical to take any other position. I would be dead. I wouldn't exist. I have nothing but total admiration, total gratitude and total respect 
for the strength of the women who made the decision they, they made in my individual case. See what God's done? He's, he's knitted us together in, in our mother's womb and here he is dignifying humanity by becoming human himself. It's interesting, isn't it? The baby in Mary's womb will grow up to be who, who, or who is our judge and will judge us for the way that we've treated human life, even the unborn. But also, here is the baby in Mary's womb who will grow up to be the one who offers forgiveness for the way we've treated human life, the unborn, whether men or women. And I reckon it's just one of those things you, you, you need to think about, isn't it? We're never to treat lightly the sins committed to the unborn, but equally, we should never doubt God's forgiveness for the sins against the unborn. Well, that's a massive aside. Let me come back to Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, their pl- pregnancies are planned by God, but they're also unplanned. They're also unexpected. See, what's happened for Elizabeth and Zechariah, ba- the backstory, first half of chapter one, they're well past childbearing years. Uh, they are old. It is announced by that same angel, Gabriel, that they will conceive. But it's very different to the message given to Mary, isn't it? It's not by the Holy Spirit. It will actually be through uh, sexual relations that they will conceive and they will give birth to John. But Mary is very different, isn't it? She, to put it mildly, she is in for the surprise of her life, isn't she? She's told by the angel Gabriel, you will conceive and you will give birth to a son. And look at what she says in verse 34. But how? How will this be? Since I am a virgin. I don't think she's, I don't think she's doubting God. I don't think she's asking for more evidence from God. Uh, like, like it seems that Zechariah did earlier in the chapter. But she's asking, how? How can this happen? How will you do this, Lord? Because this has never happened in the history of the world. Um, sure, people have pleaded with God for children, uh, as uh, people here at Salt have pleaded for God for children. In the Old Testament, uh, Abraham and Sarah cry out and have given up hope for a child. But their child comes by natural means, like uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. This is one of those places in the Bible where you realise the God of the universe, the God who made the universe, who sustains the universe, operates in two very distinct ways, very, two primary ways. Most of the time, thankfully, he acts in very predictable ways, doesn't he? Uh, we would say following the natural laws of nature, they're laws he has made. He's made the world orderly, uh, a scientific world, a world that we can discover, a world that's predictable, that's orderly, that's livable. Thankfully, he doesn't change it up too many times. But other times, he, he chooses to act outside of these ways. Uh, I guess we would say, here are the supernatural means. Here are the, the, the miraculous means he uses to fulfil his purposes. And this is one of those occasions, a virgin birth. So there's no sex between Mary and Joseph until after Jesus' birth. 
How does it happen? Look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit is doing his role as he always does. He's pointing people to Jesus, highlighting Jesus. Here the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary so she would recognize that the Son of God is actually to be conceived within you. Uh, that's what the Spirit will do. And I think we need to remind ourselves this is not a fairy tale. This is part of Luke's historical account of actually what happened uh, in the first century. It's Luke telling us um, about the virgin birth. And as you think about Luke for a moment, remember who Luke is. Luke is the doctor. Luke is the, the, man, the science man, if you like. Luke is the man who is well aware of how babies come into the world. Here he is, not blinking an eyelid and telling us, this is a virgin birth. Uh, as I've told you the story of uh, all the characters throughout Luke's Gospel, the places, the people, the history, Nazareth, Galilee, uh, Joseph, Elizabeth, Zechariah, King David, here also is actually what happened. The virgin birth is real. And we're told in Matthew's Gospel, it's no wonder this is what creates tension between Mary and Joseph and anxiety. Uh, this is what causes Joseph to want to quietly divorce his wife. All of this is exactly what you'd expect, isn't it, if it actually happened. But you know, Luke knows something else about Jesus and something else about God. He knows that 700 years earlier in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7, the passage that was read out for us, two very clear things will happen. God will dwell in our midst. He will become human, Emmanuel. And how will you know this happens? He will come through a virgin, Isaiah chapter 7. And so to the skeptic, to, to the Muslim, to anyone who says, how can God possibly become a man? The Bible keeps echoing through the centuries these key words, nothing is impossible for God or no word from God will ever fail. No mission of his is ever impossible. Uh, Genesis 18, is anything too hard for God? Sarah, why do you laugh? Uh, Jeremiah says, you God have made the heavens and the earth, nothing is too hard for you. That's the God we're talking about. Or it's here in verse 37, isn't it? Nothing is impossible for God. Look at verse 37. You might have a better translation. No word from God will ever fail. No promise will remain unfulfilled. God will achieve it. No plan of God will ever be thwarted. God always gets his way. God always succeeds, unlike us. There is no such thing as mission impossible with God. And so what has happened, this, what is about to happen, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is about to become human flesh and dwell amongst us, live, die, resurrect as a human being. Well, have a look at this guy, Louis Pasteur, a Frenchman, uh, the late 19th century. Um, if you're into science, you should know him. He's a, he's a chemist. Um, 
And pasteurization, um, what happens with milk, right? So you don't get sick, but also happens with beer. Um, I don't know enough about science. Killing germs, basically. <laughs> Key uh, thing that he discovered. He also discovered uh, some of the earliest vaccines, um, so against uh, cholera and anthrax and rabies. Here's what he says about miracles in the Bible. He says, the laws of nature are a comfort zone designed for our comfort by God. Uh, they are not a straitjacket for him. He abrogates them as he will. Do you get that? God, in his kindness, has made a world that works, that is for our comfort. Uh, isn't it great that gravity is the same every single time? <laughs> uh, isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? Um, but God is not bound to that. He can change it up at any time he wants, and he does, and he can, and he will to fulfill his pl- plans and purposes. And that's what he understood. Well, it's not just an extraordinary conception, it's, it's an extraordinary baby that's coming into the world. Don't lose sight of who's coming into the world. Have a look in verse 31. The angel says to Mary, you're to call him Jesus. Jesus means God saves. Here is the saviour that we desperately need coming into the world. He's going to be the son of the Most High. He's going to be the king that we've been waiting for. Uh, The angel says he'll have the throne of his great-great-grandfather, King David. Uh, He's the one that Samuel spoke of, the son that will reign over God's people forever, uh, have a kingdom that will never end. There's nothing that gets bigger than this. Here is Jesus the Saviour. Here is Jesus the Lord, the King. And doesn't that make Mary an incredibly special person, an incredibly special woman? Uh, We'll continue to see this in the weeks ahead, so stick with us next week, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Uh, It's not for a moment saying she's uh, perfect. It's not saying um, she is sinless. She's certainly not the saviour. And and the Roman Catholic Church has got it seriously wrong to say that we should pray to her. But here is where it's at. She is a unique woman on the landscape of every woman in the world. She's the only woman to give birth to the saviour of the world. So 60 billion women across, across time, only one woman gave birth to the Saviour and Lord of the world. And Elizabeth sees this, look at verse 42. She says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. In other words, what an incredible honour, what what an incredible privilege you've had to carry the Lord, the Saviour. What an incredibly special and unique role you've had in the plans and purposes of God. Uh, do, do see this, do appreciate this. Sometimes um, as non-Catholics, we shy away from this. We trivialise this. We, we, we don't realise what a special person that she is, what an important place she's had in the plans and purposes of God as a woman, uh, what grace God has given her to take up this role. And so when your Roman Catholic friend says to you, don't you believe in Mary? You need to say, yes. She is blessed among all women. 
Do you believe that? Are you able to say that? She is so blessed. The most blessed among all women. Uh, it's what Mary thinks of herself, humbly. Verse 48, look a bit further down in her song. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into this next week. Uh, she says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. If that is true, we need to consider her blessed, don't we? Uh, of all women, she was used in a special role by God to fulfill his plans and purposes. But the relationship she has with Jesus is a temporary one. Uh, she's the mother of Jesus. Uh, and it's interesting how, if you follow this through the Gospels, uh, of course, Jesus honours her uh, as his parent, um, but he doesn't push deeply into uh, him and, uh, sorry, her being his mum. In fact, she, he calls her woman uh, at one point. Uh, and in heaven, now as the resurrected Lord, I take it Mary calls Jesus the Son of God. Uh, Mary calls Jesus her Saviour, uh, not her Son. Uh, this is the way God has worked things out. And so we can say she's blessed among all women. She gave birth to the Son of God. Now, when I was a teenager, which was a long time ago, when I was doing my HSC, when I was studying for my HSC, uh, we had a, a visit, our family had a visit from a dear old distant great aunt in the UK. You know these kind of relatives? Have you got one of those? Um, and just a lovely, uh, generous woman who was a staunch Roman Catholic. Uh, so I was in year 12 at the time, I'm studying for my exam. She must have seen that I was struggling. And she says to me, she encourages me, uh, you need to pray to St. Joseph for your exams. And I actually looked up St. Joseph this week just to make sure I had it right. Um, St. Joseph is the patron, the patron saint of examinations, in brackets, especially really hard ones. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she encouraged me. She prayed. She was personally prayed to all the saints. She prayed also to Mary. And I've got to say, I didn't have the knowledge or the guts to say to my aunt, no one, not even Mary should take the place of Jesus. That we pray to the Father, through Jesus, by the Spirit, that we don't need to go through the saints, uh, that it's not honouring to Jesus to go through Mary. Yes, she is blessed among all women, but something has gone seriously wrong with our view of her when we pray to her. And I kind of wish uh, she's now passed away. I wish I could say to my aunt today, if Mary knew you were praying to her, she would be crying in heaven. Because Mary knew, and Mary knows to this day, that there is one mediator between God and mankind, and that is Jesus. And how do we know that? We know that because in the Gospels, in Luke's biography, she becomes a disciple of Jesus. Uh, more than the mother of Jesus, she becomes a disciple of Jesus. In fact, she's portrayed as a model disciple of Jesus, someone you could look to and go, be like her. Uh, there's a few of those people. That, so coming up, there's Simeon in this chapter. There's, there's Anna. We've, we've met Elizabeth. People that understand Jesus has come in the flesh as our Lord and Saviour. We need to honour him. 
Uh, He is the one that we need to bend the knee to. He is the one that we must never take the place of. And Mary must have it must have been difficult for her at times, wasn't it? Even as a child, she need, Mary's learning, he needs to become greater, I need to become less. He's at the centre stage, I'm on the side stage, because he is the Lord. And Mary is an extraordinary woman because she's an incredibly humble woman. I want to say that she's a beautiful woman in God's sight. Uh, we don't know what she looked like. Um, but we know that she was beautiful, and this is, this is the beauty I pray uh, for my daughters. I pray for you too, and I pray for, for men as well. What is, the, what is it, the kind of beauty that comes from the one who humbles themselves at God's word? God loves it when we humble ourselves before God. That is beautiful. And you see it in, in Mary's response to the angel. Look at verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. That's who I am. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me, Lord, be fulfilled. Now, don't, don't skate over that. That's a, that's a massive thing, isn't it, for Mary? There she is. She's a teenager. She's a virgin. She's been told that she will give birth to a son. In her day, the, there are severe consequences for pregnancy outside of wedlock. There is a sea of unknowns. What does it mean for me to carry the Lord, the Saviour? How how could it possibly be? How can I comprehend all this? And she thinks to herself and she says to God, yes, I can see you will do it. I trust you. I believe you. May your word to me be fulfilled. Now, that is a woman of great faith, isn't it? There is true faith. There is a model to us of trusting God, of taking God at his word. Uh, Think about the greats of the Old Testament. Abraham, who was justified by faith, the father, if you like, of justification by faith. I reckon Mary is the mother uh, of justification by faith. See, like Abraham, Abraham believed God. He and Sarah are 75 years old. no human prospect of conceiving. Uh, hear the promise. Look at the stars in the sky. So will your descendants be. Look at the, the sand grains of the beach. So will your family be. Seems impossible. Abraham trusts God. It's credited to him as righteousness. Mary trusts God. She's righteous before God. It's, it's, it's the way we relate to God, isn't it? By faith by trusting him, trusting his promises. That is how we made right with God. And Mary has done it. She has believed God's promise to her. Faith is taking God at his word. I believe you. To trust God is to trust what he says. If he says you're forgiven, then you are forgiven. If he says you are loved, you are loved. If he says there's coming a day where there'll be no more pain and suffering... There'll be great transformation. That is what will happen. And so I want to say Mary is not only blessed because she carries the saviour of the world, but she's also blessed because she trusts God. She trusts God. And look at verse 45 again. It's like Luke is trying to circle around again. Let me remind you of what's happened. Verse 45, Elizabeth says, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promises 
to her. She's not like Zechariah, her husband. Uh, Mary, though she's young, probably illiterate, from a poor family, from the backwater town, is clutching to a promise that is beyond belief. She's about to give birth to the most powerful person in the world, the one Israel waited for centuries. And what does she say? Let it be as you say. I trust you. That is faith. And isn't that something that we need to learn? To be like that. Lord, let it be as you say. I trust you. It's very important, isn't it? Hebrews 11, without faith, you cannot please the Lord. Well, as we wrap things up tonight, I wonder whether you, hopefully you look to Mary and, you, and, and perhaps you think to yourself, I'd love to be like her. I'd love to have her faith. And it's really interesting to see how Jesus honours Mary again throughout uh, the account that Luke has for us here. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you, you'll remember that in Luke chapter 11, a woman in the crowd says to Jesus these words, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. In other words, how great is your mum? And, and in, in one sense, you want to say yes. What does Jesus say to that? There's a small window there where Jesus can say what he would like to say about his, about his mum. And, and is it going to be that, yes, my mum is number one? Is it salvation is in her? Yes, she is the sinless one. She is the mother of God. Jesus doesn't say any of that, does he? Jesus says this, it's on the screen, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Uh, There's no doubt she is a blessed woman. She's a special woman. She's an honoured woman. But you, you want to know who is blessed in Jesus' eyes. Who does Jesus think is blessed? It's the one who hears the word of God and obeys it the one who trusts, who believes, who puts God's word into practice. I don't think for a moment Jesus is putting Mary down. I think he's elevating every disciple to say, this is the blessed person, the favoured one, the honoured one. Not just having Jesus in the womb, but having Jesus in your heart, believing his promises. And so, As you think about Mary, you think, well, there is one woman, a unique woman, one in 50 billion who gave birth to the saviour of the world. You didn't have that role. That's okay. But no one needs to miss out on the equal, if not greater blessing of hearing God's word and obeying it. And so let me me finish with these two things. Two things I reckon we learn from Mary. The first one's really simple. It's that she recognised who Jesus is. And I wonder as you, you come to this passage tonight, have you, have you taken that step? Do you recognise who Jesus is, the Saviour, the Lord, the one who's come for you? Uh, do you believe that he is your Saviour and your Lord, the one that you need to bow the knee to? Uh, there is the most important person for you to recognise, the most important step of faith that you need to make. Um, so let me encourage you, if you haven't made that step, uh, dig into these things, investigate these things, um, I know your thoughts are not into New Year yet, but in the New Year, in February, uh, we start our life series again. Uh, We're going to be talking again about Jesus, who he is, uh, what he came to do. Is it real? Is it true? Ask any question. Make sure you come along uh, in February. 
But secondly, for most of us, uh, the takeaway is let's trust like Mary. Let's trust like Mary. Um, and I wonder as you think about that, what are, what are the issues you're facing at the moment where you need to trust what God says as you think into your life? Uh, what do you need to believe from God as you grapple with, with a fear, with an anxiety, with, an, with, a, with a friendship, with a, with a problem, with an enemy? Um, what do you need to believe about God tonight regarding your finances or your relationships or your marriage or your singleness or your children or your work or whatever it is that's facing you, what do you need to believe from the promises of God? What is it that seems impossible and that you need to say to God, your word never fails, I trust you? Uh, let me put it just one last way. What, what part of the Bible do you need to trust God with as you grapple with it? As you come to this part of the Bible, and I know as your pastor, there are parts of the Bible where I just can't come to terms with this. I'm not sure whether this is true or real. This is really hard for me. And I wonder whether you'll ask God, help me, Lord, to understand this, accept this, love this, live this. And I wonder whether you'll say, God, I don't understand it all, but I trust you. I know that you are good. I know that your word is good. Uh, it's, it's what that man said in the Gospels. I believe Jesus, but help me in my unbelief. And so tonight, can you say with Mary, as before we pray, Lord, I know your word never fails. Nothing is impossible with you. Let's pray.